Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. Sarai is also later known as Sarah. Not sure why that's like that, but that's the way it is. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. And we'll stop right there. Now, in the time of Abraham, Ur was in the southern part of what is now Iraq. And we'll take a look at where that is. We're kind of familiar with seeing Iraq on a map with the war that's going on. But if you look down in the southern part here, along this area, let me get a pointer. Ur was along the Euphrates River, which is right in here, and it goes up the country through here. It just happened to be a very important commercial center. At that time, the population was probably somewhere around 300,000 people, which was a a fairly big city. This is the Euphrates River right here. They were in the southern portion of that, of what now is known as Iraq. Give you an idea of what kind of city it was. Archaeologists have found over 100,000 clay business documents. It was very cultured. There was actually business documents that where business transactions were taking place. They were recorded on clay, and they've actually found those things. Uh, they found the remains of an extensive library. They found musical instruments. Statuettes found in, in royal tombs have indicated a, a real high level of craftsmanship. The people of Ur were well-educated. They were proficient in mathematics, astronomy, weaving, and engraving. The walls of the city averaged around 30 feet high. That was primarily for protection. And at the heart of the city was a three-tiered ziggurat, which is a, it kind of looks like a pyramid with steps. And it wasn't just a statue. It was dedicated to the moon god, Nana, who was considered the protector of the city. So you can see these people were not exactly the the godly people of the area. Tell you a little bit more about the culture. They found that there was actually some homes in that area that were two-story homes, and they even had a primitive type of air conditioning in the homes. So this city was very cultured, very well-traveled. A lot of people lived there, and a lot of people traveled through there coming up the Euphrates River because there was actually a harbor there from the river. And archaeologists have found gold, silver, precious stones, all kinds of stuff that that tells them that there was an immense amount of trade that went on in that area. So you have Abram and his father, his wife, and his nephew Lot. And they leave out of Ur down here, and they travel up the Euphrates about 600 miles. And they come to a place called Haran, which is going to be in the northern part of Iraq up here. 
It wasn't Iraq back then, but it is now. So somewhere up in here in the northern part along the Euphrates River is where they traveled to. A 600-mile journey, walking. Took them a while to get there. But they arrived there, and they stayed there for quite a while. Now, why they stayed there, it, the Bible doesn't specifically stay, say why they stayed there. It could have been that um, Abram's father was, was old, his health was bad, and they decided to just stop there and stay. It could have been that his dad felt comfortable there because his family worshipped, Abram's family worshipped the same gods. They, they worshipped false gods where they were. So back in Ur. In fact, let's go to Joshua 24 and 2. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. So you can see that Abram's family, maybe they just felt comfortable in this city that worshipped other gods. They left Ur, that was an ungodly place. They get to Haran, which is a pretty much ungodly place, and they say, Hey, This isn't bad. We'll just stay here. For whatever reason, they did decide to stay there. And they stayed until Abram's father died. Once his father died, Abram continued his journey. Let's go back to verse 12. I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 3. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. That's not right. 12 and 1. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and I will and go to the land I will show you. <clears throat> I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So this is God's promise to Abram. He's already, as a younger man, left the place where he grew up. They moved to another town. They moved to Haran. His father dies. God speaks to Abram and says, Now, I'm going to send you to a place. All you have to do is just follow me. Well, Lord, where is that place? When you get there, I'll bless you. Where is that place? Just follow the directions I tell you, and everything will be fine. I'll bless you. Your descendants are going to be wonderful. But where am I going? Just follow me. Simple, right? Here's the scenario. God has asked a man that's 75 years old. The Bible says that Abram was 75 years old. At 75, he's supposed to pack up his family and move to a place that he doesn't even know where he's going. And in return, he was going to be blessed. Now, what does that tell us? I think it kind of goes back to what we talked a little bit about last week. 
is that there is never a time in our life that God doesn't have a call for our life. Abram was not a young man. He was not some 20-year-old just married guy with his family and, hey, what I, what I have to lose? I can just go start over wherever. It's a man that's settled. 75 years old. He's, he's set in his ways. But God said go, so he goes. And in part of the promise, God says that I will make your descendants a great nation. That sounds good too, but he had no kids. He's 75 years old. He has no children. And part of the promise says that I will make your descendants a great nation. And I would say at some point, Abram's thinking, well, that part of it doesn't sound too good. What about this traveling to a place I don't know? And there was this uncertainty, I'm sure, in his life of, do I really want to do this? And it's easy for us to look and see because we know the end result. And we can say, well, look how it ended up. It ended up just like God said. Abram, what is your problem? You got there, God blessed you, and your, your lineage came all the way down, and it was, it was wonderful. That's because we see the end. When you're sitting on this side of the event, it looks a whole lot different than after you've already gotten there and look back this way. And in our lives, we're going to find out that when we are facing something in our life that we don't know or there's uncertainty, there's going to be times when it's difficult to make those decisions. When it's somebody else looking at a decision, at a big problem or a big decision, it's easy for us to say, well, just trust God. Just trust God. He'll bring you through. But when it's us, all of a sudden it gets real personal. Right? And Abram had this call, and I know that you can tell that he wanted to do it, but there had to be a certain amount of apprehension in his life, to say, do I really want to pick up my family at this point in my life and go someplace that I've never been? Are we willing today to follow what God calls us to do and go do something that we've never done before? Because really, that's the short version of the story. Hebrews 12, 8 and 10. And see, we look at the end of the story and we say, yeah, but it was going to be okay. It's okay, Abram, just go ahead and go. Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, and did, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's what Abram had to go on. A promise and faith. And there are times in our lives that no matter how close we are to God or or where we are in our walk with God, 
that we will have to go strictly by the promises of God and by faith. But God, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen if I do that. That's right. That's why it's called faith. And see, you might sit there and go, well, you've got that all under control, and so, you know, you can teach about that. Actually, I don't. I'm working at that. But there's this certain amount of absolute trust that is very, very difficult for us as humans. When God says, I want you to do something, and I'll take care of you, we want to know, well, can you kind of tell me how you're going to do it, and then I'll feel better about it? And as long as he tells us how, we're, we're able to follow. But that's not the way it always is. Sometimes God calls us to do something, and we're supposed to just go do it. Genesis 12, 4 through 6. So Abram left. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. There's a whole Bible study right there in that last line. They set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. They knew that they had to go from here to there, and they just went. If we could do that in our walk with God, that God calls us to do something, we set out to do it, and we arrive there. It's really just that simple when we're talking about it. When we're doing it, it's a little bit more difficult. Abram traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Let's stop a minute and talk about the Canaanites. Actually, in the land of Canaan at that time, there were Canaanites and Amorites. The Canaanites were descendants of Noah's grandson, Canaan. We talked a couple weeks ago about how God, the, the world got so wicked that God destroyed the whole world except for Noah and his wife, his two sons and their wives. Three sons and their wives. Eight people. This Canaan was one of his grandsons that settled in that land. And all these years later, they are the primary inhabitants of the land of Canaan. The Bible really isn't specific where the Amorites came from. They moved in to that area before Abram arrived, and they really caused a lot of trouble. There's a lot of fighting and upheavals and destruction. And that was really a good thing for Abram and his family because it made it a little, bit, a little bit easier for them to move around the country. They didn't stand out so much because there was a lot of other strangers there too. So here they arrive in this land, and it's, as you would think, a really godly land, right? God destroys the world because of its wickedness. His grandson settles into this land. You would think that there would be stories from grandpa that would be passed down to those grandchildren. 
But let me tell you a little bit about the Canaanites. They were divided into city-states where the kings had a lot of power. The kings had the power to raise an army, control the lands, impose taxes, and compel subjects to take part in public projects. What that is is forced labor. Compel citizens to take part in public projects. In other words, just grab you up and say, okay, you're going to be working for me for a couple of years. And that's what they did. Now, you say, well, that's pretty bad. Here's the bad part. The Canaanites worshipped their gods in drunken sexual orgies and big feasts. But that wasn't even the worst of their practices. They also sacrificed children to their gods. Descendants of Noah. Noah's grandson's descendants. And you ask, tell me again why God destroyed the world before Noah? Because of their wickedness? And, you know, this is a pattern that we see all through the Old Testament. Of people turning to God, turning away. Turn to God, turn away. And you see it through the children of Israel all through their history. And it's sad because you can see that when they're serving God, they're blessed. When they're not, they're not. And you would think, well, the simple solution is just to serve God. That's exactly the simple solution. And that's what Abram has done at this point. All this full circle of things has come back around, and here's God's people that was once God's people, and they've slidden all the way back into idolatry as far as sacrificing children. God calls somebody from way over here in the southern part of Iraq, and it takes them several years to get there, but they follow. Let's see that map again. They start down here. They go all the way up the Euphrates over here. They go across Syria, down through, probably through Jordan, and end up here in Israel, which was Canaan at the time, down. So they've arrived here, and they've arrived at the at Mora at Shechem, without the promises of God. What do you think the chances that Abram would have ever left? You're right. I think absolutely zero. But there was something in Abram's heart that when God spoke to him, he just believed him. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your family and I want you to go. And he said, you know what? Okay. Now keep in mind, he's leaving his house, all the security, and they're going to live in a tent on top of that. Let's think if, if God called us to do that. Okay, I want you to just pick up all your stuff, pack it up, grab your family up, Jump in the car and I want you to go out to Arizona in the middle of the desert and live in a tent. 
Exactly. But even if we knew we were going to Arizona, we'd go, God, are you sure? Are you sure about this living in a tent thing? I have a pretty nice house. Can I do, um, like, knock on doors in my neighborhood or something? That's not what God called him to do. And there's times that God will call us to do something and we won't be real comfortable with it. Now, I am not advocating anybody do that this morning. Pack up your stuff and, and just go wherever. That's not what I'm saying this morning. What I am saying is that God has a call on each person's life. He has a call on your life. And whatever it is, we should not say, but God, because when we do that, we're not following his will. Abraham, it doesn't say anywhere in there that he asked God for proof that it was going to work out. He didn't ask God for an explanation. He didn't ask him for a map. He didn't ask for hints about what's going to happen. It says that he picked up his family and all his stuff and he left. And when God calls us to do something, even if we don't feel really comfortable, if it's God calling us, it's okay. God will not call you to do something that he can't keep you and see it through until it's done. There was no time in that in that journey from northern Iraq all the way across to Israel that it says that God left Abram. He was always there. By the time they got to Israel, or Canaan at that time, there was scattered people and there were certain cities and a little bit of urbanization had gone on. But it was nowhere like Ur, where they started. It was nowhere like Haran, where they ended up halfway through. It was just an up-and-coming country that had a lot of problems. And they ended up at the, the Mora of she, at Shechem, which was probably a, some type of a holy place where people worshipped their gods. But what happened here is Abram worshipped his god. All you other people here, you might be worshiping whatever God. I'm going to worship my God. Let's go to Genesis 12, 7 through 9. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is at the Mora at Shechem. From there he went on toward the hills of Bethel and pitched his tent. Remember I said he had to live in a tent? He lived in a tent. With Bethel at the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward Negev. When he arrived in Canaan, God honored his obedience. And he told him, he said, I'm going to give you this land. What you see here will all be yours and your descendants. And this is the first time that God had specifically appeared to Abraham or Abram and specifically promised Canaan to him. This is the first time. That whole journey, which was this part of the journey was about 400 miles. This 400-mile journey, not knowing where he was going, God didn't tell him, you're here, until he got there. 
It wasn't like they got to the top of the hill like Moses at one point, and they looked over and God said, all that you see is yours. It wasn't even like that. They had to actually get there before God said, now, I will give you all this land. And in response to the promise of God, it says that Abram built an altar. And I believe that what this showed God was that in Abram's heart, he believed completely what God said. He had trusted God. And he was thankful that God had kept his promises. When we are facing a situation and we're going into something that we really don't see how it's going to work out, when we get through it, how do we respond to God? Some people respond in the way that they're angry that they had to go through all of that. God, why did I have to go all th- through all of that just to get here? And Abram could have done the same thing. He could have said, God, we're living in a tent in this land that I've never even heard of before. You know, you could have told me where we were going. He didn't do that. It says he built an altar and he thanked God. When we go through something, we need to thank God that he's brought us through it. Not complain that we had to go through it. Be grateful that he was there with us. And it says from there he traveled to another part of Canaan, around Bethel. And when he got there, he built another altar. And he did the same thing again. Going through life, and I'm, I'm not as old as some of y'all, but I've been through a few things, and I know that going through life, there's always things that pop up unexpectedly. We don't see everything clearly that's going to happen for the next 10 years. We don't see what's going to happen tomorrow. But somewhere in our heart, we have to believe that God will still be there. If we don't, how can we live? How do people make it from day to day that don't have anything bigger than themselves to hold on to? See, we do. I'm not limited to my own abilities. If I have the Spirit of God living in me, then I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't that what the Bible says? It doesn't say that I can do all things, but I can do all things through Christ. And that's the way that we have to face anything that comes up in our life. And, and some people say, well, you've never faced any, any hard times. You don't know that. And I don't know what you've faced. But I do know this. If you take everybody's problems and put them all out there, most people think theirs are the worst. You know why? Because there's theirs. You can sit and tell me about all the problems in your life, and I can feel bad about it and, and say, I wish it wasn't that way. But when I walk away, they're still your problems. But when it's mine, 
And I get burdened down. And I don't understand. And I say, God, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Somewhere in there, we still have to trust and know that if God is leading us, then at any given time, we're right where we're supposed to be. We have to know that God handles it no matter what it is. Right. But the key is to stay in that close contact with God. If you get away from God, there's no assurances. If at some point in, in the road from Haran to Canaan, God spoke to, to Abram and said, okay, I want you to take a, a left up here. And Abram said, you know, that doesn't look good that way. I think I'm going to go this way. Once he left the leading of the Spirit, leading of God, he was on his own. And if we do that same thing, once we're on our own, then we're just out there on our own. As long as we're staying with the leading of the Spirit... Everything will work out fine. How do you know that? Read the 11th chapter of Hebrews. All the great people throughout the Bible that that Paul wrote about in that, it all starts with one thing, by faith. Here's a great description of Abram's life. His life in Canaan is described as tent pitching and altar building. He pitched a tent and he built altars. He went somewhere else, pitched a tent and built altars. A lot of us, when we get there, we pitch a fit and don't build an altar. I don't. We've all done it. I agree. Amen. You know, another thing, if you look, Abram was a, a wealthy man. If you, when you look at what he left, it says he left with all his family, all the people that had accumulated, which were servants, and, and all their stuff. So he was a wealthy guy. But if you look what he left behind to for his pagan neighbors to see, it wasn't signs of his wealth. It was altars to his God. Yeah. <laughs> now, here, here's an interesting thing. Abram, Abram trusted God. And sometimes our faith is more like this. A man's walking on the edge of a cliff, and he gets too close, and he falls over the edge. Fortunately, as he's fallen, he grabs hold of a tree. And he's hanging on there. And in desperation, he looks up to heaven, and he says, Is anyone there? And a voice answers and says, I'm here. I am the Lord. Do you believe in me? And of course, the man's hanging on a tree, fixing to die. And he says, sure, I believe in you. Of course, I believe in you, but I can't hold on here much longer. And the voice says, if you really believe in me, you have nothing to worry about. 
Just let go of the branch and I'll catch you. And the man looks up. Anybody else up there? That's how we are sometimes. We ask God. He answers us and we go. But that's not what I wanted to hear. But that's my answer. And that's where we get in trouble. Is God speaks and it wasn't what we wanted to hear. So we look for something else. And there's a lot of people in their life today that are still looking for those other things. At one point, maybe there was a call on their life, but because they didn't want to answer that call, they just went somewhere else and looked. I've seen people come into church and and get saved and give their heart to the Lord, filled with the Spirit, just really on fire for doing something for God. And God would call them to do something maybe... Um, as an outreach person or as a Sunday school teacher or something, but somewhere in their mind, they decided they really wanted to be a pastor. So instead of doing what God called them to do, they go out here and start a church, and that one doesn't work out. So they go over here and start another church, and that one doesn't work out, and they wonder why it doesn't work. Because God called you to do this. And maybe when you were through doing that, God would call you to do something else. And maybe down the road somewhere, He would call you to pastor a church. But if you do it out of the will of God, it's probably not going to work. What keeps us from hearing when somebody calls us? Have you ever seen... A mom in a nursery situation where there's a bunch of kids. I've seen it in, in church. The kids be back in the nursery, and there can be a bunch of kids back there and crying and screaming and whatever. And then all of a sudden there's this one screaming, this mom goes. Of all the screaming, they recognized their own little screamer. Why is that? They were in tune with that voice. Now, when that baby grows up and he becomes a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy and mom has dinner ready, she can call out the back door for him to come to dinner 10 times. And he never hears a word. Why? Because he's not listening. And that's what happens to us sometimes. Well, I haven't heard God speak to me. Well, have you been listening? Would you recognize His voice if He did speak to you? Are we the mother sitting in church with the nursery in the back? Are we the little boy out playing? And the little boy's out playing and digging in the dirt and eating worms and stuff. So he's too busy to hear his mom call. And in our lives, sometimes we are so busy doing our stuff and out digging in the dirt and eating worms that we can't hear God call us. So what keeps us from hearing the call? It's not listening. But here's the key. God is calling you. Oh, don't put that on me. 
I didn't put it on you. God is calling you. He's calling you to do something. For some people today in churches around this country, God is calling people to make a step towards giving their heart to God. And if they do that and they come down and they they ask forgiveness for their sins and, and they receive the Spirit of God in their life, that's the greatest calling that you'll ever answer. But it doesn't stop there. And that's what we have to, we have to understand. That's like Abram traveling from Ur to Haran. That wasn't the end of the journey. It was a stopover. When we come from, from living in the world to come to salvation, that's not the end of the journey. When Abram got to Haran, that was the beginning of his journey. Because at Haran was the first time that God had actually called Abram to go somewhere. When they left Ur, he went with his father. When he left Haran, his family went with him. So getting saved is not the, the end all of everything. It's the beginning of where God's going to take you from there. And for those of you that have already made that first step, there's a tremendous journey ahead of you. But what happens is sometimes we get saved and mentally we script out this plan of what we're going to do with our life. And if God's plan doesn't fit ours, a lot of times our plan wins. We get involved with the family. Get involved with the job. And there's nothing wrong with that. We get involved with making money. Accumulating stuff. And God might be speaking to us. But we're so busy digging in the dirt and eating worms. That we can't hear what he has to say. So what does he ask us to do? It might not be become a missionary. It might be something that we look at it and go, well, that's easy enough. Let's look at the scripture, Luke 5 and 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Then Simon Peter saw this, and he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Let's stop right there for a minute. 
fished all night on their own. Jesus says, now go ahead and, and take the boats on out to the deep water. Lord, we've, we've fished all night. We haven't caught anything. It doesn't say we only caught a few. We haven't caught anything. But you know what? I'll just do it anyway. That's what he said. But because you said so, I'll just do it anyway. They get out there and they let down the nets. And there's so many fish in the net, they have to call another boat out. And even when they split it between two boats, the boats are almost sinking. Wow. I've never been fishing like that. Okay. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. He showed them that even though they had gone and fished and caught nothing, that he could take them out there and catch so many fish that they couldn't take them back. When they got back, he said, you know what? Now I'm going to show you how to go out and catch men to follow me. How could they not believe at that point? Well, I'm just going to trust that you can do that because I just saw what you did there. And that's how we should live our life. When God blesses us and brings us through a situation, we don't complain about that we had to go through the situation. We take that and go, you know what, God? You did that. Whatever you call me to do, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Let's go to the next thing. And it says they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. And again, I am not trying to get anybody just to go quit your job and go out full time knocking on doors. I'm not saying that. This is all about being open to the calling of God. Because I don't think God would call you to do that. He may ask us to do something like, we're on a plane somewhere. And God speaks us to witness to the person sitting next to us on the plane. Well, that's not much of a ministry. Sure it is. That's a person you'll probably never meet again in your life. Probably would have never met them had you not been on that plane right then. Do you think it's an accident that they're sitting there? No. And if God says, go ahead and witness that person, there's a reason that God has led you to witness that person. Maybe God calls you to witness to a neighbor. Maybe God calls you into some type of a a work at High Point Church. Maybe an outreach ministry of some kind. Working in the nursery. You say, well, we don't really have any babies. Okay, so practice until we get some. Practice taking care of the nursery. Everybody missed that one. Thank you, Lord. Living faith, living in faith, means that we continually will be taking risk. If it wasn't a risk, it wouldn't involve faith. But I've never done that before. Let's, let's look at another scripture. Along that line, I've never done that before. Matthew 14, 22 through 29. 
We'll end up here in a couple minutes. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Okay. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. We're in the boat. And we look up there towards shore. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. If he was in a little tiny boat in this storm, that would be bad enough. But he's walking on the water. And Peter says, if that's really you, then ask me to come out there and join you on the water. You talk about God calling you to do something you've never done before. When he said that, Jesus said, okay, step out of the boat. Now, Peter gets a lot of criticism because we see in the next couple verses that at some point he took his eyes off Jesus and he started sinking in the water. And we sit back and go, oh, that guy, he just didn't have enough faith. Well, let me ask you this. Would you have had enough faith to step off the boat to start with? He had enough faith to step out on the water and believe that Jesus said he could walk on water. That's more than I have. Anytime I've ever stepped off of a boat, I'll tell you what happened. That's exactly right. Let's read the next couple verses. But he saw the wind and he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And this is where we criticize him. He just didn't have enough faith. Immediately, Jesus reached out with his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? We can't criticize Peter for that. But the key to that is, even though his faith was lacking, Jesus was right there and grabbed him and pulled him up. If God calls us to step out of the boat and do something we've never done before, we might feel like we're sinking at some point. But I can promise you this, that if God called us to come out there, He will pick us up just like he did Peter. He reached out his hand and caught him and picked him up. And the next verse says that they got back in the boat. How about that? God might call you to do something you've never done before. That's okay. I want to read a quote from Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom was a survivor of the Holocaust in one of the concentration camps. Here's what she said. Faith is like a radar 
Faith is like radar that sees through the fog of reality, sees through the fog of reality of things at a distance the human eye cannot see. That's what faith is. When the fog is so thick that we can't see anything out there, faith lets us know that it's still there. She's also the one that said something along the lines of when you're on a train and the train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark and you can't see, you don't throw your ticket out the window and jump off the train. You sit still and trust the engineer. Sometimes we just have to do what God says. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Jesus didn't have Peter step off the boat so he could drown. He called him to step off the boat so he could show him that he was able to take care of him. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I'll close by asking four questions. Are we listening? Are we hearing? Are we responding? And do we believe? God bless you. If you would take about five minutes and then we'll gather back in here for worship service. God bless you.